This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, listeners. It's another happy hour edition of the Heartland Daily Podcast. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor for capitalism, striking down a Tennessee uh, statute that essentially discriminated against non-residents by requiring liquor store retailers to be residents of the state for two years prior to obtaining a retail liquor permit and to be a resident for 10 years in order to renew that license. Today we have somebody that was on the front lines, got to go in front of the uh, in front of SCOTUS. Anya Bidwell is an attorney for the Institute for Justice, and she litigates cases that protect promote uh, protect and promote economic speech and property rights. She's also worked on she's worked on this important case, uh, Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retailers Association versus Russell F. Thomas. At IJ, she's worked um, against she's worked in litigation against the U.S. Customs and Border Protection and the uh, Fifth. Edit that, guys. <laughs> at IJ, she has uh, uh, at IJ, she has litigated against the U.S. Customs and Border Protection in the Fifth Circuit Court, and has worked to ensure that Wyoming passed a law banning roadside waivers of property rights. Prior to IJ, Anya was a litigation attorney at the top national law firm. She earned her JD with honors from the University of Texas, where she worked as a student attorney at the United States Supreme Court Clinic. Anya, thank you for coming on today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Lindsay? I'm fantastic. Can't complain. Um, no, and and thank you again. I know. I mean, pretty epic week for you. Um, uh, you know, regarding the Scotus case. But um, I kind of gave a little bit of an introduction. But would you like to talk um, more to our listeners about your background and um, how you found yourself at IJ and in front of justice, uh, <laughs> all of the justices actually. Well, it's been definitely an honor to have our case litigated in the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, so I just want to give a shout out uh, to IJ. It's been my privilege to work there. Um, I'm just several years out of law school, and having a chance to go to the United States Supreme Court is something that oh, wow. young lawyers don't really get to do very much. Yeah. So uh, for those lo- young awesome. lawyers who are listening, by the way, if you want your job to be fun and impactful and if you would like to sue the government for violating people's constitutional rights, uh, like I do these days, consider reaching out to us, um, uh, to IJ. We'll be happy to talk to you, and we also uh, have great opportunities for law uh, for young lawyers, uh, and we'd be more than happy to talk to you guys about this. I love the shout-out, and I didn't know that you were that young in there. That's pretty impressive. Um <laughs> Okay, so let's just get down to it. I this uh, this uh, uh, Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retailers Association versus Russell F. Thomas actually kind of has a lot of moving parts to it between the regulations, yep. um, but also IJ did a really good profile on one of the um, I guess it would be the the defendants. The 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 association was the one suing them. Could you kind of talk about? It's a couple that. Um, yeah, they moved. It was it were yeah. parents who moved from Utah to Tennessee to get life-saving treatment for their daughter, um, and Tennessee law right. was preventing them from opening up a business. So you, you kind of talk about the background of the case? Absolutely, yes. Doug and Mary Ketchum, they are amazing. So as you mentioned, they used to live in Utah uh, with their adult daughter, uh, Stacy. She has a severe case of cerebral palsy. Uh, so during the winter of 2016, one of Stacy's lungs collapsed. 
due to a temperature inversion in Salt Lake Valley. So essentially, that's when dirty air gets trapped close to the ground and people have to live in this muck for weeks. So you have this really bad air. Stacy is breathing it and her lung collapsed. Stacy's doctor told Doug and Mary that they had to move out of Utah or Stacy would die within months. They were absolutely terrified. So they had they immediately started looking for a different place to live. Uh, Doug just uh, uh, did some internet research and he saw this amazing opportunity in Tennessee. This guy, he was selling his liquor shop, which is somewhat of a historic institution in Memphis. Johnny mm-hmm. Cash, for example, and many other famous singers used to frequent this establishment uh, before recording in Sun Studio or after. I don't know. So uh, neither Doug nor Mary knew anything about uh, alcohol uh, at the time, although Mary describes herself as a wine connoisseur. Uh, <laughs> but they thought that buying this shop would be just what the doctor ordered. Uh, Memphis has a much cleaner air and operating a shop would allow Doug and Mary to spend more time with Stacy. Uh, at the time in Utah, Doug worked as an engineer full-time, and he was looking forward to no longer working full-time and having more flexibility to care for Stacy. Uh, so Doug and Mary, they did their due diligence to make sure that they would be allowed to buy a liquor store in Tennessee. Uh, they knew that there were these absurd durational residency requirements on the books, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, you have to live in Tennessee for nine years before you can first get a license and then be able to renew it, right? Because you have a 10-year renewal requirement. Mm -hmm. Um, But these requirements, they were not enforced. Moreover, the Tennessee Attorney General twice declared these residency requirements unconstitutional because they discriminated against out-of-staters. So when your own own state's Attorney General says that these laws should not be enforced because they're unconstitutional, you don't worry about them being enforced. So Doug and Mary, they were pretty confident that they would be able to obtain the license. Um, But when they moved to Tennessee and applied for the license, they had to wait surprisingly long time for an answer. And then out of the blue, uh, the Tennessee Alcoholic Beverage Commission informed them uh, that they were going to ask a state court about whether the license can be granted. Apparently, the Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retailers Association threatened the commission telling them that if they granted Doug and Mary the license, as well as another applicant's Total Wine, which is this giant yep. uh, store, um, then the, uh, the Retail Association um, would sue the commission for not enforcing the laws. So the commission essentially felt like they had no choice but to go to a state court and ask a state court to resolve the situation. Eventually, the case um, found its way to a federal district court, and Doug and Mary prevailed there and were able to get the license. Mm-hmm. Then the Retailers Association appealed to the Sixth Circuit, um, and Doug and Mary preva- prevailed there again. And finally, the Retailers Association took it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's when we stepped in and took over Doug and Mary's case. Um, on June 26, as you know, this Wednesday, uh, the court sided with Doug and Mary and with their sole uh, proprietorship, Affluere, uh, and now uh, Doug and Mary finally can continue with their lives uh, without worrying about their license being revoked. Okay. So that's kind of a factual uh, background. No, I love it. It's actually, that is very um, precise and, and concise and gets it to the point. Now, I do want to backtrack. What is the Tennessee yeah. Wine and Spirits Retailer Association, and um, why would they have such an invested interest in, I guess, protecting 
I, I, protecting this um, statute that you had to be a resident? Yeah, that's that's the key question, really. So the uh, Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retailers Association consists essentially of folks who are in the industry, right? Like retail liquor store owners. And they have this huge incentive to prevent folks from outside coming in and competing with them. So what they are actually doing is lobbying um, the state to make sure that they're barriers to entry uh, for the outsiders. Um, It's, um, you know, they're not the only ones like that. It's just the system of incentives works as such. Um, So um, that's about it. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Okay, so um, from what I understand, um, it, with this, the, with the Supreme Court's decision um, in favor of uh, the the, I guess the, the, I guess they were the the plaintiffs or the Meachams or whatever, um, um, Justice Samuel Alito relied heavily on the Constitution's commerce commerce clause. Can you kind of explain what the commerce clause is and how does it apply to the state or the, to this um, case? Sure, uh, the commerce clause is really a wonderful provision, and. Uh, it is found in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, and it essentially says that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce among the different states. Um, the clause was actually one of the main reasons behind the Constitutional Convention, right? The Articles of Confederation, the charter that governed the United States before the Constitution, uh, did not have a similar provision, and it caused a lot of anti-competitive behavior by the states. They would enact all kinds of barriers to protect their own citizens, including barriers against the interstate shipment of goods. Um, And that was unsustainable if the goal was to avoid conflicts between the states and foster a free national market. Uh, So um, uh, the important part here, and it's kind of a, a little too legal, but quite essential, is that while the Commerce Clause only refers to Congress, right, it says Congress shall have the power. It has been for a very long time understood to prohibit states in general from engaging in anti-competitive behavior. Uh, and this interpretation of the Commerce Clause is called the Dormant Commerce Clause. And it says that states cannot essentially uh, erect barriers for protectionist purposes. Um, Justice Alito used the Dormant Commerce Clause to strike down the durational residency laws. He declared that these laws are discriminatory on their face that their predominant effect is protectionism and that therefore they are unconstitutional. It was really an indictment of protectionism and it was great to see from uh, such such language from a decision where seven justices signed on to the opinion. No, yeah, it was was pretty, yeah, it was like, it was, yeah, seven to two actually. Um, And okay, so... Now, another argument that came from the petitioner, so this would be the Tennessee um, the Wine and Liquor Retailers Association, was that this would nullify the three-tier um, system. And for our listeners that don't know, in most states, um, alcohol uh, distribution is regulated by um, a three-tier system, meaning that there's a manufacturer, a distributor, and mm-hmm. a retailer. And none of them can actually, they can't be in business with each other. So you can't have a retailer that's also a manufacturer. Um, now, this scheme is going to still be protected, even despite this um, Supreme Court ruling. Can you explain how the petitioners thought that that would have been dismantled and then the way that um, the Supreme Court interpreted it and why it would still be left standing? 
Yeah, it's really all about the power granted by the Constitution to the states in the 21st Amendment, right? The 21st Amendment repeals uh, prohibition. And then in Section 2 of the 21st Amendment, it basically says that uh, transportation and importation of alcohol must be regulated by states and cannot violate their laws. Um, And and, and here's the key, right? So you can regulate alcohol, no question about it. You just can't discriminate. So the three-tier system stands so long as it abides by the non-discrimination principle. For example, the 21st Amendment provides states with power to completely ban alcohol. It does not allow, though, the states to ban the importation from the outside, but allow inside folks to sell it. So it's a broad power, but it is limited by the non-discrimination principle. The Commerce Clause and the 21st Amendment are two constitutional provisions of equal stature. And the idea that one of these provisions, the 21st Amendment, makes the other provision, the Commerce Clause, obsolete when it comes to alcohol is simply too much. As Justice Alito said, no one would argue that, for example, state law prohibiting the importation of alcohol for sale to persons of a particular race, religion, or sex would be immunized from challenge under the Equal Protection Clause. Similarly, alcohol-related laws should not be immunized from challenge under the Commerce Clause. Those two clauses coexist, and one cannot trump the other. Okay, so how many, okay, with this ruling, how many amendments were actually touched? Uh, by this ruling, it's really all about the interaction. The interaction? Between the Dormant okay. Commerce Clause and the 21st Amendment. How do they exist with each other? And Justice Alito basically said, listen, if the predominant effect is protectionism, then Section 2 of the 21st Amendment cannot save you. Even though 21st Amendment gives you broad powers to regulate alcohol, you cannot violate another provision. But then he also said, and it's kind of this, you know, there's case law on this, but it's also common sense, right? He said, listen, there are a ton of other constitutional provisions like equal protection, for example, Mm -hmm. right? And you cannot say that, hey, states can actually discriminate based on race when they, uh, you know, do this alcohol laws. Nobody says that. There is a 14th Amendment and you cannot violate it no matter what, whether 21st Amendment exists or not. Similar with the Commerce Clause. Okay. No, it's really it's really interesting. Um, and, and I I just have I've recently I'm usually on the tobacco side of things, so I recently this year got yeah. like pushed into the alcohol, and I was like, wow, there's a <laughs> there's a lot of regulations going on this. So the big part about yeah. this ruling though is um, how is it going to affect other states? Um, I you know right. I, and I, I you know regarding liquor or any is there a possibility? I mean, this is obviously related to liquor, but is there a possibility that this could be extended into other products and other licensing yeah, so, schematics? Right. That's that's a really good question. Uh, I think the the opinion itself is going to, is a very powerful one, and it's going to affect different spheres. First of all. Over a dozen states have some form of durational residency requirements, ranging from six months in South Carolina to five years in Oklahoma. So uh, these laws are unlikely to withstand constitutional scrutiny anymore. So when it comes to durational residency requirements, and durational meaning that there's some sort of a before you get residency, you have to wait for a particular period of time. 
these laws are unlike are, are most likely gone. Uh, then there are also simple residency requirements, and it's quite possible that uh, uh, those kind of requirements are also in danger. But as I mentioned earlier, the court made these great broad pronouncements against protectionism in general, yeah. essentially saying that protectionism is never okay. Even under the 21st Amendment, and as we discussed, 21st Amendment provides states with significant power to regulate. So this means that when it comes to other state laws, like economic licensing uh, that you mentioned, um, there is likely to be greater scrutiny. If protectionism is not okay when it comes to the 21st Amendment, it is also not a legitimate governmental interest when it comes to economic liberty in general. And we've been litigating economic liberty for many years. And there is this thing called circuit split, essentially, when there are certain circuits, certain circuits in the country that are saying that, hey, economic protectionism is a legitimate governmental interest. And so we can, you know, have these economic laws that do all kinds of crazy stuff for purposes of protectionism. That's totally fine. There are actually some circuits who are saying that. And then, then some other circuits who are saying that it's not okay. And so Justice Alito, by coming out so much in favor, actually so much against protectionism, and in basically kind of, you know, provides opportunity for attorneys to litigate future economic liberty cases and use this case and show that, listen, if economic protectionism is not okay in the alcohol sphere, it is certainly not okay in and non-alcohol sphere as well. It's back. The Heartland Institute is hosting the 13th International Conference on Climate Change on July 25th in Washington, D.C. at the Trump International Hotel. This is the most important climate conference of 2019, featuring the world's best scientists, economists, and policy experts who will present the latest data and information showing that humans are not causing a climate crisis. Tickets are available now, but space is limited, so don't delay. Our keynote meal sessions will include at least one prominent member of the Trump administration, a leader of the historic Solidarity Polish Labor Union, who has had it with climate alarmism in Europe, and the latest round of the Climate Change Awards. Other featured speakers include prominent scientist Roy Spencer, David Legates, a Trump transition leader for EPA Myron Ebel, and Anthony Watts, founder of the most red climate site in the world. What's up with that? Visit heartland.org for more information and get your tickets today. So uh, could we expect some um, occupational licensing reforms in the next future and the, and the coming, you know, legislative sessions maybe? Or, or would, it be, <laughs> would it mostly, is this going to come out, is it going to come out mostly to court cases then and just relying on the opinion? Um, you, it, 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 it could come from all sources, right? Uh, we've seen there's definite movement when it comes to licensing reform uh, in many different states. It's becoming a bipartisan issue. Alan Kruger, who recently passed away, was Obama's uh, econ uh, head of economic council, and he was also came out against uh, occupational licensing, just like a lot of Republicans folks are against occupational licensing. So there is definitely a great movement there. There's some movement in the state legislatures. Now there is a lot of movement in the courts as well. And, you know, we'll take victory any way we can. Uh, if there are laws that are passed that say that it's not okay, great. And if uh, we have to go to court, then we'll do that as well. 
And so, okay, now now back to the original um, people, the Meachams, right? Um, so yeah. are they still yeah. running their liquor store? And um, how did they take this week's news? Or Well, this <laughs> this will be aired next week. You can edit that out, guys. So now, the last week's news um, with the Supreme Court yeah. decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and by the way, their names are Ketchums. Catch them. I'm sorry. Not okay. Sorry. Yeah, okay. You want to say it again? All right, yeah. guys. Yep. Okay. We can completely edit that. So yeah. Okay. So back to the original, like the the the, the people at the heart of this case, the Ketchums. Um, have they been operating um, even while all this has been going through litigation? And then also, have they taken the news of the Supreme Court ruling? Yes. So they've been operating since they won at the district court level because they were able to get the license then. The problem was that the retailers association kept appealing and appealing and appealing. So they were never really sure whether one day the government was going to come in and take away their license. And Mary Ketchum, you know, she told us she couldn't sleep for months. Yeah. So like the first thing I said when we learned about the decision was like, I hope Mary can sleep well now. Yes. But uh, they were absolutely thrilled. They are, you know, uh, they're very happy about this. They, uh, Doug actually works full time because they were never sure about being able to keep the license. Oh. So Mary has been the one operating the store and Doug is working um, as an engineer. So uh, I don't know what his plans are in the future, but I'm really hoping that they will be able to realize the original dream, which was to spend as much time as possible with their daughter. Um, yeah. And they, yeah, they were very, very happy. And, you know, the best thing about being an IJ lawyer is to actually call your clients and give them this good news. Yes. And now, how is their daughter doing? Has she, um, since moving from Utah to Tennessee, has, has her health got, like, has it been better for her? Absolutely. And by the way, she even was able to make it to the oral argument in January. Uh, they flew her in um, and uh, she is a wonderful, wonderful person. And she has the most the sunniest personality. And um, uh, she's been very happy about this as well. And her health is uh, definitely much better than in Utah. So that was a very important move for the Ketchums. Yep. No, and that's, well, that's what the, the essence of small business is about, you know, and the American dream that, you yep. you know, that you can have a family life and, and not be sacrificed and, you know, and then also that, well, um, that's, that's fantastic. Now, um, where can we find out more information about your work and um, the Institute for Justice? Okay, so first of all, um, we have this really cool podcast, and I'm sorry to be promoting a podcast. That's, no, podcast. it's fine. No. <laughs> but it's called Short Circuit, and we also have a newsletter, and you guys could subscribe to our newsletter, um, also called Short Circuit. And uh, for you nerds out there, we essentially review every week uh, numerous opinions from the lower courts. And provide summaries. And then once every two weeks, we actually have a podcast and we discuss some of those opinions involving individual rights. And the reason it's important to talk about the lower court's opinions, in addition to the U.S. Supreme Court's opinions, is that the United States Supreme Court chooses yes. uh, which cases to take up based on those opinions. So yep. if there is a you know circuit split or is if there is a very important issue, we're going to flag it for you and we're going to talk about it. So that's one really good way to kind of um, uh, know about us and see what we do. Uh, we also have a website, ij.org. Uh, we also have our own YouTube channel and 
there are like millions of people watching it. So that's pretty cool. Um, and we have a magazine called Liberty and Law, and you can also subscribe to that. Um, and in general, feel free to uh, email me if you have any questions too. It's abidwell at ij.org. Awesome. Yes. And and for our listeners, we rely heavily on our on IJ for our civil asset forfeiture work. So and we might be relying on a little bit more now when it comes to all the liquor um um litigation. Now, um, Anya, do you have any last thoughts or words of advice you want to give to uh, to listeners who are paying attention to this podcast, whether it is about this particular case or about any other things that you're working on currently right now? Just, you know, I, I, I if you or someone you know um are in a situation where you think a state or a federal government uh, or the federal government is infringing on your rights uh, in that it is taking your property, making it impossible to make an honest living or choose a school you want your kid to go to, um, don't hesitate to ever reach out to us. Um, That's, uh, you know, we always want to hear from people and to kind of know from folks on the ground what is going on. And we're always ready to fight for you. Um, and by the way, just want to make one more announcement and that this morning we learned, um, as you know, Lindsay, that uh, we are going to the U.S. Supreme Court once again next term. Yeah. And this time it's going to be over a school choice issue. Yes. Um, the, the, the case is called Espinosa versus Montana Department of Revenue. Yep. If you guys want to follow it. Yeah. yeah and if we, you go I on our we, website, you can learn all about I it. I think we are. And that comes down to that. Uh, what's that? Um, uh, why can't I think of it right now? I've done a podcast on it. It's a, it's a specific. It's a Blaine Amendment, correct? Blaine Amendments. That's yes. exactly right. There are 37 states, right? There, there are these terrible anti-Catholic amendments called Blaine Amendments. Yep. And they include, uh, exclude schools from governmental funding programs simply because of these schools' religious affiliations. So uh, we are going to go to the U.S. Supreme Court and tell the justices why these plain amendments are plainly unconstitutional. No, that's fantastic. We're going to have to get you on another podcast on that one. It'll be somebody else. Yeah, that sounds good. At our well, okay, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on today, Anya. And also, you like you've helped me learn a lot more about this and the implications on it. So I really appreciate it. Anytime, Lindsay. Awesome. And um, listeners, thank you for tuning in to another um, Heartland Daily podcast. For more podcasts, please visit heartland.org or search for the Heartland Daily podcast on iTunes. For more, more information on regulatory reforms, including alcohol legislation, please visit heartland.org.